Care Norris scrubs are designed with you, our healthcare heroes, in mind. Our luxurious scrubs are the perfect blend of style and comfort, giving you the freedom to feel confident and look your best while providing exceptional care. For a limited time, enjoy 20% off of our scrubs with code MCMS20 at karenware.com. Thank you for all that you do for patients and families every day. Pollutants in the environment uh, can increase the allergenicity of an allergen. So the, the pollutants will combine with the allergen and make them stronger. And, and so that makes it more likely for someone to react to it. So somewhere like the Phoenix Metro Valley, where we get lots of pollution during different times of the year, uh, will have a higher tendency for people to convert over to allergies than perhaps somewhere more remote where they don't have the pollution. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And our guest is Dr. Ronald Jorgensen of the Arizona Asthma and Allergy Institute. Dr. Jorgensen, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We're glad you're here as well. Uh, we're going to start talking about common allergies, trends in those allergies, testing procedures and injections and so on. But I'm wondering if you can start by telling us more about your background, your training, how long have you been, been in the Valley, things like that. Okay. Well, first, I think I'll work backwards. I've been in the Valley for 25 years. I started out with Arizona Asthma and Allergy when it was a small practice with just uh, Bill Morgan and Jim Chevalier. And now we've grown to seven practices across the valley with 10 physicians. And we're scattered from Surprise all the way down to uh, Chandler area, Chandler and Mesa. Before that, I trained at Mayo Clinic uh, in Rochester, Minnesota. I spent two and a half years out there. Prior to that, I was at the University of Utah and trained in internal medicine. And that's where I did my medical schooling. That's excellent. And uh, I'm glad that you uh, saw the wisdom of leaving Minnesota to come down to Arizona and warm up. Absolutely. I married someone from Arizona and she said she wanted out of there. She was happy to get down to Arizona. Well, you and I have a commonality in that that area. My wife is from Tucson and said, hey, we need to go back there. Um, <laughs> well, Welcome again to the show. We're really glad you're here. Uh, congratulations on all the progress to you and your team. And um, as an expert in this area, we wanted to ask you, uh, first, about the common, the most common allergies in Arizona. What are they, and uh, and what are patients facing these days? Okay, so that's pretty easy. <clears throat> in Arizona, the most common allergies are pollens and foods. But if you're talking about pollens specifically in Arizona, you're going to look at several different allergens out there, and they they vary between the times of year that you're looking at. So if you're looking at the spring allergy season, then you'd be looking at the first allergen out of the gates is ash tree. Ash tree blossoms right around mid-February and, and the pollen comes out and that's when you start getting your allergies at a more significant level. Okay. Right after that comes olive tree. So I'm gonna go through the trees first. Right after that is olive tree and then followed by Palo Verde and mesquite trees. So the Palo Verde and Mesquite really come in in mid-April and extend right on through late May and into June. 
So along with that, the reason spring allergy season is so difficult for people is you also have a Bermuda grass that starts growing about that time. And then you got the big push of ragweed that comes in. If we have a lot of rain during the winter season, like we've had this year, then uh, you're going to see a lot more weed growth in the spring season. Then the weeds die off when it gets really hot. And so the, the weed allergen count starts to drop somewhere in June and July. But as the weed allergen count drops, so does the Bermuda grass increase at the same time. Okay. And, and then you've got uh, monsoon season. That's a different set of allergens. During monsoon season, you start to run into a few of the molds that are outdoor molds. The biggest one in Arizona is Alternaria, very common mold throughout the United States. It's not very common to have mold allergy in Arizona, but it is very prominent during the months of August and maybe early September. Then you get into the fall season. The fall season is when all the golf courses around Arizona, and we have a lot of them, they all want to replant. Uh, so they, they scrape the surfaces. And during that period of September, early October, you get a high level of Bermuda because you're just throwing it out into the environment at, at much higher levels. And then they replant with the ryegrass. So ryegrass starts to kick in somewhere around November, whereas the Bermuda is really strong in September, October when they're, when they're uh, shaving the golf courses down and getting ready for the ryegrass. Again, if it's a really rainy season in the, in the uh, uh, monsoon period, then you run into more of the uh, ragweed in the fall. So different from other parts of the United States, we have two ragweed seasons. We have a spring and the fall season. The last set of allergens that are really prominent in Arizona uh, come in January or more December and January. That's where you run into cedar tree, juniper, and some of the pine. So that kind of circles the year, and that's what you run into throughout the year. Thank you so much. Um, I am someone who often doesn't check the weather <laughs> because it's almost always sunny. If it rains, I think it's amazing. But to do your job, do you have to be a, uh, an amateur biologist and track the weather trends? <laughs> Not really. Okay. We just, we just take the allergens as they come. It, it varies every year. We know the pattern and we know they'll all be coming at different at these different times. It's just the, the strength of them. Sometimes you'll have much more ragweed or sometimes the trees act differently. And this is where I'm not a biologist or a botanist. And sometimes the trees act differently if there's a lot of water or if there's a little water. And I, I don't totally understand that, nor do I need to understand that to take care of the allergies. Fascinating. Have you seen that allergies are increasing or decreasing and why one way or the other? Well, I think we all know, at least in the medical world, we all know that allergies are increasing. The perplexing thing is why. You're asking the question why. Nobody has a really perfect answer. It's not been documented well, and it's not been studied well. People have tried to study it. But I can go into a few opinions. I can share with you the different opinions that people have out there in the medical world. Yeah, please. 
Uh, first, though, in order to understand the opinions, you need to understand just a little bit about science, okay? There's two types of responses in the immune system. I'm just going to grade it down to two major responses. One is called a T helper type 1 response, and that's what we utilize in our bodies to respond to any type of infection that comes our way. The other is a T helper type 2 response, and that's the immune response that responds to allergens. So a lot of times when the T helper one response is really high, then it dampens down the T helper type two response, which okay. is the allergen response. So if you can imagine with me, the, uh, the opinions uh, and the thoughts and hypotheses out there would lean toward, okay, if you grow up in an environment where you get lots of infections early on in childhood, that may dampen down your allergic response. Now we do a lot of vaccines and things like that that prevent some of these major infections. So because the TH1 response is not abundant, now you tend to flip the pendulum toward the TH2 response, which is the allergenic response. Okay. So that's one of the major hypotheses out there is our clean society. We're not growing up on the farms anymore. We're not getting exposed to as many infections and our vaccines have helped prevent those infections, thus opening the door for more allergies. Okay. I'll give you two other quick thoughts to think about in the background. Vaccines uh, uh, trigger a normal TH1 response, but there are some additives to the vaccines that could potentially trigger a TH2 response, turning on the allergy side at the same time you're turning on the ability to fight infections. Now that data is kind of, it's out there a little bit. I saw it several years ago, but haven't seen anything recently on it. I think they try to avoid that TH2 response as much as possible. Then you've got the addition of food additives and pollution that I think play a role in all of these things. Dr. Jorgensen, thank you so much. Would you say that allergies change as patients age or are there other factors at play like the changing outdoor environment, where people work and play, and other factors? The dogma out there is that allergies get better as someone ages, generally after about age 70. So you've got this whole period through childhood, teenage years, and from 20 on up to about 70 before the immune system starts to dampen down a little bit on that. And That's so a long period. That is a long period, most of our lives. Um, but there are some other factors. There's, uh, of course, there's genetics. Someone will be more genetically prone to have allergies if their parents are, are, have allergies. And they say about 50% of the time, if both parents have allergies, 50% of the time, the children are gonna have allergies. I don't know if that's a little stronger than that. You, I think it's a little stronger. I think it's probably more in the range of 60 to 70% would have allergies. So there's that genetic factor. Then you throw the environment on top of it. So there's exposures you get. And the more you're exposed to a given allergen, the more likely you, likely you are to develop an allergic response to that allergen. So you put genetics and overlay that with the environment then you've got a, a bigger opportunity for the allergies, allergens to trigger symptoms for you. There are some work situations. Sometimes people are working in moldy environments. 
Uh, we've had problems in different buildings, different types of buildings, sometimes government-owned buildings, sometimes uh, commercial-owned buildings, things like that. They get uh, some leaks in the walls or in the, in the roof, and then they get moldy exposure in the building. It's called sick building syndrome. That can turn on the allergic response a little bit more, too. Um, and then finally, you, you've got uh, the pollution. One thing we do know is that pollutants in the environment uh, can increase the allergenicity of an allergen. So the, the pollutants will combine with the allergen and make them stronger. And, and so that makes it more likely for someone to react to it. So somewhere like the Phoenix Metro Valley, where we get lots of pollution during different times of the year, uh, we'll have a higher tendency for people to convert over to allergies than perhaps somewhere more remote where they don't have the pollution. Dr. Jorgensen, thank you so much. Uh, folks, we'll take a short break and continue our conversation with Dr. Ronald Jorgensen about allergy testing and injections. We'll be right back. Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and Podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Ronald Jorgensen. Doc, the first half of the show, we talked about common allergies in Arizona, trends, uh, which are increasing, and maybe why that might be happening, and then whether things change as people age. You mentioned that it takes quite a long time for the immune system naturally uh, up to age 70 to, to start to kick in and really start to fight allergens. Now let's talk about allergy testing and injections. What is the typical process for determining patients, um, you know, what they're allergic to? And describe for listeners, if you would, the intake process, how long that process takes for the allergy testing. And, you know, is that a one-time thing, a two-time? How, how many visits does it take? Okay. So generally someone will come into our office and and they will see a physician first we will talk with them learn a little bit about their history what their symptoms are what they're experiencing at different times of the year so we want to know are you having spring allergy symptoms are you having fall allergy symptoms are you having symptoms throughout the year certain things uh, occur indoor that can be a problem for people such as pets uh, cats dogs furry animals like rabbits. Some people have rabbits for pets and they can cause problems for them as well. And so we want to kind of know what's going on and, and what their tendencies are. Then we do, uh, after the initial visit, uh, on the same day, we'll do the skin testing as long as they've been off their antihistamines. So then what we'll do is, is um, take uh, about, depending on the age, if it's a small child uh, between the ages of, of six months to four years, we might do about 20 allergens. 
if it's uh, if it's about four to age ten, we might do about uh, forty allergens, uh, picking up all the grasses, weeds, trees, and animals. Uh, and then uh, for anyone above ten or adults, we uh, physicians will do about anywhere from fifty-five to seventy-five allergens that include both things here down in the valley, but also things up in the Northern Arizona area too, which is quite a broad smattering of allergens. When we do a skin test, what we uh, uh, each, uh, what we do is take uh, each allergen and in, in, in there are about, uh, there is a single well for each allergen. Okay. Okay, and we have a little toothpick-like device that sits in the well, okay? And then we pull that toothpick-like device out and make a small scratch on the skin. And so we do that for each individual test. Okay, okay. and that's a forearm, it's leg, where do you normally do it? Usually we do the back. The back's been found to be the best spot. Okay. You can do it on the forearm, uh, on the inside of the forearm, you can get some good allergy readings. Okay. Um, then everything that you're allergic to will welt up like a little mosquito bite. Sometimes it's very small and some people are allergic to several things, but only on a mild basis. However, that adds up a little bit of each one adds up to quite a bit for someone during the allergy season. Okay. Sometimes they're very large. Sometimes a, a single spot can, for, for example, Bermuda grass can be two to three centimeters in diameter just on one single reading. So it, it can vary depending on how allergic an individual is to the actual allergen. Okay. Then our nurses will come in, uh, then you'll sit for about 15 minutes and then our nurses will come in and read it. They'll come in and, and take measurements and you read for the largest diameter of the wheel, that's like the mosquito bite wheel, you know, how it swells up just a little bit. And then they'll measure the, the uh, diameter of the redness around the wheel. And sometimes that can be much larger uh, depending on how allergic they are. They'll put all of that on a printout and then we will highlight all of the allergens that that individual is allergic to and give them the printout back so that they can know exactly what they're allergic to and, and what to watch out for. Okay, and that's um, the severity as well for the ones to which they're allergic? Yeah, those that are they're more allergic to will have higher numbers in general. Okay, wow, and so the process takes about 15, 20 minutes from, or, or longer maybe if you're doing more tests, more allergens. Well, no, not really much longer. If you're doing 19 or 70 allergens, it, the, the time isn't that much longer to put them on or to read them. It's, okay. more, it's about 15 minutes from the moment you place them to the moment they need to be read. Okay. Yeah. Overall, we plan on about two hours for the visit because there's things to discuss, taking the, his, the initial history and then discussing things afterward. Got it. So this might be rare. Hopefully it's rare. But do you ever have cases where there's a severe allergic reaction and, and then what happens? Well, that's very rare with skin testing, skin prick testing, the testing that I've described. Sometimes you need to go under the skin. OK, so 
when we have some allergens we're very suspicious of, but they show up negative on the test, we might take a small needle and a little bit of the allergen and put it just under the skin surface. In okay. that situation, you can have a higher risk for an anaphylactic reaction. That's why we always do the skin prick test first, which is just a little scratch on the surface. Therefore, we don't run into the tendency to have an anaphylactic reaction. If someone went straight in with the needles under the skin, there would be a much higher chance of anaphylaxis. So we do our best to avoid that. I have had some rare cases over 25 years that I've been in practice. I've had maybe one or two uh, uh, in a year actually out of all the testing that we do. And that would be the most we would run into where we okay. get some slight anaphylactic symptoms. All right, thank you. What's the science behind the injections and generally do they work? Well, yes, they work. The interesting thing is they've been around for almost a hundred years, um, way before they knew the science behind it. It's actually a desensitization. You could almost think of it like vaccinating yourself against allergens. That's really how, kind of how it works. You start out with a low dose and you gradually increase the dose over time until you get up to a much higher dose than what you would encounter in the environment. And then that starts shifting your immune system. Remember the Th1 and Th2 process? it starts shifting your immune system away from the TH2 over back to the TH1 type response in the body. Okay. So the science behind it is that actual shift in the immune system that takes place. And over the years, especially over the past 20 years, when they could really study it, they've found that there is an actual immune shift that takes place. And that's what makes them effective and, and helpful for people. How long does that process take on average, the injection process? Is this one month, three months, a year, multiple years? And um, a second question to that is, is whether injections are typically covered by insurance carriers. Okay, let's start with the first, uh, which is a great question. Uh, the frequency of injections is more often during the first year. Okay, let's start there. Usually people do five to six years, somewhere in that time frame. The first year is a weekly injection in the office. Second year, we go to every two weeks, third year, every three weeks, and fourth year, once a month. And that's where you level out. The first year you build up to the high doses so that you're above what you would normally get out in the environment. And then from there on out, you're letting the body acclimate to that. And as the body acclimates and, and builds its desensitization, then you can go further out on the shots. So the pattern I described is the general pattern. Sometimes people move out to once a month faster because they're doing so well on the shots, they can move on out. Their body actually tells them how fast they can move out. If they get out to every two weeks and they notice symptoms in between the shots, then they're not ready and their body tells them they're not ready. If they're getting out every two weeks and they're doing great, then oftentimes they'll try pushing out every three weeks. And, okay. and so that's kind of how the process goes. And it's a little different for everybody, but the general pattern is what I described. 
Okay. And that involves when a patient comes comes in every time you would ask them, how has it been since your last shot? Have you been out in the environment and exposed to things? Or after you get that next shot, you see how it's how it's sitting in the armors or wherever it's injected. Yeah, they always watch for local reactions when they're giving injections. And sometimes we have to lower the dose a little bit. Our, our uh, nurses are careful to watch for that every time someone comes in. The nice thing about an allergy office is that you can do that without having to schedule appointments. So you're not stuck waiting for the doctor. You just go into the allergy office, get the injections. You've got to sit there for about 30 minutes afterward because we have to watch you for anaphylactic reactions. But it's much easier and faster for you and, and more accommodating for people to be able to just slip in when they can do it. And so we have some extended hours that are helpful and things like that for people. That's great. And that question about the the coverage. So what normally happens with insurance carriers? Is this uh, common these days? So coverage is all over the place. They're very, uh, it is a, a uh, well-accepted treatment by the insurance companies and has been for many years. And so they, they will cover it. The problem in today's society is uh, most people have very high deductibles or many people have high deductibles. So all of this treatment goes towards your deductible like any other medical procedure does. Uh, some insurances will cover them 80, 80, 20, some 90, 10 after their deductible. Other insurances just have you pay a copay along the way. And other insurances covered 100%. So it really depends on the insurance plan as to how much is covered right up front. Dr. Ronald Jorgensen, we've covered a lot today. Uh, I really thank you for your time. My final question is how people should contact you and your team. I, I know you have a website, which is a, a great site, azsneeze.com. Is that where you should, uh, you'd recommend people contact you or another way? Absolutely. And our phone number is 602-843-2991. And so they can go to the website, they can contact us in the, at any time. We're happy to help and accommodate and, and we're a growing practice. So we're, we cover most of the Valley now. Folks, you've been listening to Dr. Ronald Jorgensen of Arizona Asthma and Allergy Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, with multiple locations and many colleagues. Sir, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015, helping physicians be the best they can be.